You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. We have um, just a real treat lined up this morning and this evening. Um, this is John. Everyone say hey to John. John Flavel and um, John and his wife Abby lead an incredible church in the east of the city called River City Church and been great friends of ours for many, many years. Um, John came, I invited him to speak at our, our staff morning um, last month and it was a mess in a great way. <laughs> the Lord was really, really moving and I thought we need to get this guy to church. So um, it's a real pleasure. I'll let you introduce yourself and family and everything, but let's pray for you before you share Father, we thank you so much for John. God, the man, of the, the man that he is, the man that you've called him to be, and uh, the gift that you've placed in him. And, and I know, Lord, that his words are going to be from you this morning. And I pray for anointing, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill him up. That as he gives out, you would pour into him. You would bless him. You would bless his family. And that you would move amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. Before I get to me and introducing myself and uh, what I'm going to talk about this morning, I just felt as I was praying this morning and preparing that um, to begin by inviting Jesus to minister to you from the very start of what I'm going to bring this morning. My expectation is that there'll be more at the end that we're all going to hear him speak to us, but just felt like I want to set the tone right at the beginning, and Jesus wants to do that with you. So if you would with me, could you just close your eyes? And um, we've already sung this morning, but Jesus' presence is here. Jesus is in the room with us by his spirit. And one of the things that I often do with people to help them know that is just get them to ask Jesus to show them where he is. And so just with your eyes closed now, why don't you just say to Jesus, please, Jesus, would you show me where, where you are? And I believe as he starts to show you where he is, where he is and how he is, reveal something to you this morning about what he has for you. Because I believe that there are some of you here this morning who need to receive from Jesus his comfort. I'm very aware that you've lost someone this week that was very dear, and I know that there are people here this morning experiencing pain and grief, but Jesus knows that far more. And so maybe this morning as you say, Jesus, where are you? Where he is is sat next to you with an arm around you. I feel maybe some of you need some strength this morning. There's a sense of weakness and maybe Jesus this morning is stood holding you up
maybe there's a sense of um, childlikeness to you, not in an immaturity sense, but just uh, Jesus just wants to show you you're his child. And so maybe you're sat on his knee. Maybe that's where he is this morning, that you're in his embrace, held by him. But whatever you're seeing, it's because Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. Jesus values you. He cares for you. The Bible says, what is man, that you are mindful of him and yet you love him. Jesus loves you. And he wants to demonstrate that love to you this morning. He wants you to feel that love, to experience it, not just to know it in your head, but to feel it this morning, to experience it. Because when we come into contact with Jesus, it changes us. Nothing I say this morning, nothing I do is going to bring that transformation. But an encounter with Jesus this morning could change everything for you. So I just want you to know he's here. That he's paying attention to you. That he's here this morning to speak to you. That he has something he wants to say to you, for you. That could change your life. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can open your eyes now, unless you want to stay with Jesus. If you prefer looking at him than me, totally understand. <laughs> He's far better looking and has probably got a far more impressive beard than me. But um, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, some of the faces in the room are familiar to me. I've been in Hull for a long time now, 24 years, and... Um, been uh, the Christian world, sadly, in Hull is far too small, and so I know far more of you than I would like, because I obviously would want the church to be far bigger in this city, and therefore we wouldn't bump into each other so often, but over the years, many of you have uh, lived in houses that I've rented to, out to students, and uh, been in Christian unions at university with me, or uh, been in churches with me, or... Uh, meetings, and so to those of you who know me, uh, it's great to see you again. To those of you who don't, uh, as Josh said, my name's John. I lead a church in East Hull called River City with my wife Abby and an incredible team. We planted that church just over five years ago in 2016 uh, after God spoke to us very powerfully about moving over to that part of the city. Uh, up until then, we'd been part of a team that had planted another church in Hull called Jubilee that meets in the city centre, and we started that church in 2006 and uh, grew to a significant size, and, uh, but never really saw anyone coming across from East Hull to even into the city centre to meet with us, and so we felt God call us to go 
to them. So we moved over to the east of the city with our family and a team of people and began another church there. And uh, God has done some incredible things. Uh, This is uh, my family plus a couple of others. So there's me with my daughter Phoebe, who's three, sat on my knee. Uh, My wife Abby on my right. Uh, My two boys, Noah and Judah, at the back. Uh, And then uh, that's on the far left is my sister with uh, her partner Luke and their little girl, Nevaeh. That was taken at Christmas this year uh, down by the fancy new bridge, uh, which is the place to to be these, well, not these days because it's pretty windy and cold out there, but on a nice day, that's the kind of place you want to hang out in Hull, isn't it? So uh, that's where we went for a a nice family get-together. So that's us. And um, I've uh, been watching uh, the last couple of Sundays you've had here just as I've been getting ready and wanting to see what God's been saying to you and just know what to expect when I turn up. And um, it's just been really exciting. I watched uh, Josh's message from last week, uh, incredible kind of uh, introduction to the, the, the presence of the Spirit and what it's like to be filled and baptised in the Spirit. And uh, inspired by that, started to write down what I felt God wanted me to share this morning and put together some scriptures and stuff that I felt fed into that and that God was leading me to and then uh, and then I and then I listened to Jonathan from the week before and half of the stuff I wanted to say he'd said so I was like oh okay I'm going to take that as confirmation affirmation rather than rewrite my entire message so uh, some of what I say may feel like repetition but often uh, what we're finding what I'm finding is God repeats stuff if it's important for us to hear because many of us don't kind of hear it and do it the first time, do we? Uh, certainly my experience of life with God has been that he's had to say things to me quite a few times before I've been clever enough and smart enough to work out I should do something with it. And so uh, he's patient with us, isn't he? And he's, and he's so kind because he doesn't just kind of move on and go, well, you didn't get that, so you know we can't go back. No, he's, he's, he's loving as a father and understands that his children take some time to kind of catch up and so will repeatedly and calmly and gently uh, encourage us into the things that he's speaking to us. And so I feel like repetition this morning is good because I feel like uh, as you're praying about this being a move of God, uh, he's trying to move you and he's trying to encourage you to get moving Uh, and that sometimes takes a bit of kind of encouragement, doesn't it? A bit of repetition, a bit of coaxing. Anytime I try and get our kids out of the house, particularly my boys who are kind of slightly too obsessed with small devices that they can click there with their thumbs, like I, it doesn't, it, I can never just say, let's go once, you know? I can never just say, come on kids, let's, get, let's go. And they're like, yes dad, up they get, shoes are on, coats are It's kind of four or five times before the device goes off and then get your shoes, come on please get your shoes. Do you want me to put your shoes on? I, I know you're 12, but do you, <laughs> like, can we please, coats, don't forget coats, you know, and, and it, as a, as a person, it tests my patience. God's not like that. God is infinitely patient. There's no sense of frustration in him. There's this wonderful kind of, come on, let's go. Come on, let's, let's go, kids. Come on, let's, there's something better out there for us than where we are now. Let's get there together. So <laughs> but that's kind of by way of introduction, although none of it was in my notes. But I'm going to be speaking this morning about how we are 
called to be a prophetic people. And uh, prophecy might be something that you're familiar with, something you've heard about before, but for those of you who haven't, who don't really know what that is, what it means, the prophetic, uh, it's it's a gift from the Spirit. So the Spirit gives gifts to God's people, and one of the gifts that's listed in the Bible is the gift of prophecy, that God gives people the ability to prophesy, to speak things out. And those are things that they've heard from him. So prophecy is just the gift of being able to hear from God, hear his voice, and then speak out the things that he's saying. And it's uh, not a, a, a kind of strange or, or, or weird thing, and, and I'm some of these gifts can sometimes be kind of presented like that, or it can feel like that, that, like the prophet guys, they're a bit weird, aren't they? They're the kind of strange ones that say all this funny stuff. And, 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 and John the Baptist, he was kind of prophetic, wasn't he? And he lived in a desert, covered, like wearing weird clothes and eating weird food and stuff. And so I don't really fancy the idea of kind of doing prophecy stuff, because maybe it means I need to kind of be weird. <laughs> I don't really like that idea, and and so this kind of myth builds up around it, and it becomes kind of strange to us, but I feel like God has called me to help normalize the prophetic for his people, to show you and help you to understand that, that prophecy is for all of us, and that it's not a big, weird, and strange thing, but it is about a a, a relationship and and a conversation with God that goes on. And what it's for, what, the, what prophecy is for, is, is to help us to understand God's perspective of the things that are going on in us and around us. Because, like Jonathan said a couple of weeks ago, there are two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom, where he rules and reigns, and everything is as ordered as God would have it. And, and is perfect. And then there's the, the kingdom of this world. There's the kingdom that we often exist in, that we uh, move through as God's people. And that, and that world speaks very different things to us. The world says certain things to us about who we are. It talks to us about our identity, about who we are, how much we're worth, what we're valued at. And it, and it speaks about what we should do. It tells us what our lives should be for and what we should do with our time and and how we should spend our energy and the things we should chase after and and try and gain the stuff that we need. And and it tells us about what's going to happen. It tries to tell us that that things are going to get worse or things are going to get better or things are only ever going to get better or things are only ever going to get worse. It's constantly trying to speak these things to us and about us. And in all of those things, what we so desperately need as God's people is to hear him speak the truth of the kingdom of God over those things. We need to hear God tell us who we are and speak to us about our identity. We need to hear God say to us what to do with our lives and what our purpose and meaning is. We need God to speak to us about what is coming and what is before us. And when we hear those things from God, it changes everything about how we see ourselves, about how we see the world, about how we see our future, 
and the things that he's asking us to do. When we hear him speak. And so prophecy is about helping us to kind of block out the noise, block out the other voices and focus in on his voice and ask him, Jesus, what do you think? What do you want to say? What's your perspective on this? What's your verdict? What do you think? And then to speak that out and to act it out and to live it out in our lives. That's why we need the gift of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 1 to 5, Paul says this. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Edifies just means build up, kind of strengthen. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, that, Paul's not saying there that there's like this hierarchy, okay? So he's not just saying, if you're someone that prophesies, you're better than the person who... That's not what he's saying. He's saying in the context of gathering together, prophecy is more beneficial to the whole church because we can understand it. Whereas a tongue, unless it's interpreted, unless it's kind of translated for us by the Spirit, isn't particularly helpful. If you are speaking in tongues to me, and I don't know what you're saying, it doesn't really benefit me. But the prophetic, when heard, helps all of us. So Paul's expectation, his desire in this passage is that everyone should be able to prophesy. Okay, he he doesn't see that there's any barrier. He doesn't see there's any reason why everyone shouldn't prophesy. His expectation, his hope is actually everyone can hear God for themselves. And this was one of the most radical things that launched the Reformation and all sorts of stuff was this understanding actually that you don't have to go through a special person anymore. There's not a priest who has to go into God's presence and come back and tell you what God says or thinks. No, you, you, because of Christ, can come into the very presence of God yourself and hear God for yourself and listen to God and know his voice for yourself. For your encouragement, that God wants to speak words of encouragement to you that build you up and build up and encourage those around you. So my expectation this morning is the same. Okay, I come here this morning expecting that all of you are going to prophesy. Okay, we're going to have a go at that. I was in the car when I got here this morning, and as I prayed, my last line to God was, God, let's have some fun. Can we have some fun this morning? <laughs> I don't get to do this very often. Okay, not many people invite me. I'm not sure why. Maybe you'll, <laughs> maybe you'll know by the end. But, um, but like I was like, God, I've got this opportunity. Oh, I just, let's just have some fun. And the fun we're going to have is that we're all going to have a go at listening to God this morning, okay? It's not just going to be me telling you what I think God says. God's going to speak to you. And it's going to encourage you. 
and it's going to build you up, and it's going to strengthen you. And not just you, what God says to you is going to strengthen and encourage everyone else as well. We're going to see how that works at the end. It's going to get messy, like Josh said. (laughs) It's going to be really practical, but hopefully really fun. Because this is the safest and best place to learn this stuff. Okay, I don't want to make any assumptions that you all know how to hear God and what God sounds like and how the prophetic works. Some of you may have been Christians a long time and be very familiar with this and feel like I'm teaching you to suck eggs and that's okay. But for some of you, this might feel completely new. You may never have heard anyone say to you, God wants to speak to you and you can hear his voice for yourself. But it's true and I believe it can happen today. And we should be able to do that with one another, shouldn't we, to have a go? To say to someone, I think God said this, what do you think? You think that's right? Do you think I'm hearing God? I'm not sure. I had this weird dream, this thing happened, like, and it felt like more significant than a normal dream. What do you think? Or I was driving down the road and I saw this bus with this thing on the side and That's all the prophetic. It's all kind of becoming familiar with the voice of God and starting to understand how he speaks to you. But we need to be able with one another to share those things, to help one another, to grow in the gift, to practice the gift. Because, as Paul says, the purpose of the gift isn't just for us, it's for others. And I believe that what God is preparing you for, whole vineyard, is that he wants you to take this stuff out of this building and into this city. That's what a move of God is about. It's not just about us having this great kind of time together, experiencing the presence of God in this little huddle and kind of then going off and living in the world, but kind of keeping it secret Monday to Friday and then kind of the weekend doing our God stuff. It's the purpose of these gifts is to to show the world what the kingdom is like. And how much does the world need to hear that God loves them? How much do they need to hear about their identity and how much they're worth? How much do they need to hear what they're meant to do with their lives? How much do they need to hear what their future holds? And they're only going to hear the truth of those things through the prophetic. And so as God brings his spirit into this place, it's because he's asking you to be brave, to be bold, to be courageous and to go and to share these things with others. And that was the word that I had for you as I got ready was I need, God wants me to help you to to understand that you do some amazing things, Vineyard. You do some incredible stuff. Your compassion ministries, the way that you serve the poor is amazing. But I feel like God is calling you to the next step and that next step is going to require some courage, some bravery. You're going to have to take some risks to get into the next thing that God has for you. Okay, if you want the people that you're serving in your soup kitchen to come into here on a Sunday morning, you're going to have to make some brave decisions and take some risks. If you want the families that you're serving through Grow Baby to come into this place and feel family here, you're going to have to take some risks and be brave. And you're only going to do that if you hear God speaking to you about it and encouraging you on 
Over the last year at River City, we've been learning about the difference between knowledge-based discipleship and obedience-based discipleship. In the, in the West, we've kind of come to believe that the way that we grow as Christians is to learn more knowledge, is to be taught more and study more and understand more, and therefore we'll be better Christians if we know more stuff about God and the Bible and what it says. And that is valuable. But what God says he wants to see, what Jesus says, if you read his most important teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end he says, how do you, will I know if you're my disciples? If you do what I say. Not just if you know it, not just if you can repeat it to me, like a memory verse. No, that it's not the knowing that I'm looking for, it's the obedience. And so often as Christians, we excuse ourselves from the discomfort of the obedience and just sit in the knowing. Oh, I know loads of stuff about God. I'm a good Christian because I know loads of stuff about Jesus. Okay, but are you doing it? When Jesus says, forgive your enemies and love them, are you doing it? When he says, be generous with what you've got, and if you see someone in need, give them your coat, are you doing it? So we as a church have been trying to work that out. How do we do that? How do we build a community of people who are disciples of Jesus, willing to do what he says, not just know what he's saying? And as we have committed to doing that and working that out, it means that we are finding ourselves needing to be braver and braver because you need courage to do the things that Jesus says we as his disciples are supposed to do. As you read through the book of Acts, you see stories again and again of disciples being obedient to Jesus and doing what he told them and then facing opposition and persecution and difficulty. In Acts 4, the disciples are threatened and told to stop preaching. And in Acts 4, 24 to 31, they pray this incredible prayer. Says, they say this in Acts 4, 24 to 31, when they heard this, that's the disciples, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's just this incredible prayer. And they start, the disciples start by recognizing that the opposition that they're facing, the difficulties that they face, are not new. They quote David. They're like, this was happening back when David was king. People were coming against him. Whole nations rising up against him because he wanted to be obedient to you, God. This is nothing new. But it's all part of your plan. We see, just as it was part of your plan then, it's part of your plan now. And so we don't want to back down. 
We don't want to go shrink away. We don't want to stop. We want to trust you and step into the plans that you have for us. But that means we need to be brave. God, we need some courage. We need some boldness. So would you move? Would you speak? And then the Holy Spirit comes and fills them and they go speaking the words boldly. The Spirit gives them courage. Well, how does he do that? How, if God wants you, whole vineyard, to be a courageous people, to be a brave people, as you start to take steps of obedience to him and opposition comes, as it will, the first time you say to a friend, oh, I think that God heals, can I pray for you? Because... I know you're sick. That friend may reject you. The first time you say to somebody, you know, I, I, I think that God wants you to know that he loves you, that he, that he died for you. That may lead to difficulty. If it's in your workplace, it may lead to confrontation. How are you going to step into that? How are you not going to back down? How are you not going to shrink away and go, okay, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I I can't do this. Maybe I'm not able. Well, only by the Spirit. Only by the Spirit. Because in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Well, how does freedom make us courageous? How does freedom make us brave? Well, because it sets us free from fear. So we're going to look at how the Spirit sets us free from fear and then how that connects to the prophetic. Then we're going to do some prophecy to help us be bold. You see, the prophetic speaks God's voice over us. And our situations, and when we hear that voice, freedom comes. In Matthew 3, 16 to 17, we see one of only two times where Jesus is audibly spoken over by the Father. Okay, so think about this. 99% of the time, Jesus says, I do what, only what I see the Father doing, and yet nobody else hears what the Father's telling him. So Jesus heard God most, probably in his head. So that's the, don't think prophecy is only big, audible voices. I've never heard the audible voice of God, and yet I have the gift of prophecy. Okay, but there are two moments where God knows it's important that people hear, not just Jesus. That what he's about to say is so significant that everyone needs to hear it, that's in the room, as it were, that's in the crowd, not just the person he's speaking to. And both times, this is what he says. Matthew 3, 16, 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So pay attention, God is speaking, and he's speaking so everyone can hear. What's he saying? Is it just a message? Why why is he saying, he's saying something about Jesus, over Jesus, but everyone needs to hear. 
what he's saying. So what is so important about what he's saying? Well, he doesn't tell Jesus what he wanted him to do. He doesn't say, hey, everyone, this is Jesus, and he's about to do some really important stuff. Here's the stuff he's going to do. He's going to raise some people from the dead. He's going to heal some people. He's going to throw some people out of the temple. He's going to do some awesome stuff. You should follow him because it's going to be amazing. He doesn't say anything about what he's going to do. He also doesn't tell him what's going to happen. He doesn't say, hey, everyone, this is Jesus. And what's about to happen to him is he's about to go off into the desert. So don't be freaked out by the fact that he just disappears for a while. And he's going to spend 40 days there. And Jesus, what's going to happen is the devil's going to come. He's going to tempt you. It's going to be really tough. You're not allowed to eat either. Did I mention that? There's some stuff that's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. No. But we often think that's what the prophetic is, don't we? We often think the prophetic is people who hear what, they need, what's, what I need to do. So I need someone to come to me and share a prophetic word with me which tells me what I need to do. God, I need you to tell me, what do I do? All we think the prophetic is all about the future. It's just about people knowing what's coming and people saying, this is what's going to happen. So I need someone to come and tell me what's going to happen. Because that will answer all of my questions and my worries and my doubts and my fear. If I know what's going to happen or I know what to do, I'll be okay. But no, God doesn't do either of those things for Jesus. And I'm sure he would have appreciated it. In day 23 in the desert, when he's pretty peckish, and the devil's going, do you want some bread? I imagine he would have been like, well, if God had told me this was coming, that would have been really helpful, and then I'd have known what to say, and then, you know, or, or maybe I'd have brought a pack up with me, so that I, <laughs> at that moment I would have been prepared. Like, but Jesus doesn't kind of say, actually, God doesn't say, this is what's coming, or this is what you're to do. What he does is... He speaks over Jesus words about who he is. He speaks about his identity. He affirms Jesus. He says, Jesus, you're my son, whom I love. Think about who Jesus is, son of God, God. He is God, 100% God, 100% man. And yet Jesus, in some way, needs to hear again, I'm loved by my father and he's pleased with me when we hear and this is 99% of the time I share the prophetic this is what I hear for people is this I hear an affirmation over them that God loves them that they're his child God wants you to know that this morning, that he loves you, that you are his son or his daughter. And he is pleased with you. I think so often we need to hear that, don't we? Because somewhere inside of us we think, maybe God's not that happy <laughs> with me. Maybe I've kind of let him down a bit. I've made a couple of mistakes. I said an angry thing this week. Or... So God's probably kind of tutting. And he isn't. He's a good father who loves you and speaks over you words of affirmation this morning. He says, I love you and I am pleased with you. And when we hear God say that to us, 
as Jesus did, the truth is it doesn't really matter what's coming. You kind of stop worrying about what does the future hold if you know who you are in Christ. If you know, actually, I'm okay because I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God and God's got everything sorted and everything will be fixed so I don't need to worry about what's coming. I don't really need to know what to do because I know now that doing isn't the most important thing. God's not too worried about what I'm doing. What he loves is who I am and who I'm being. And so I just need to be that person and I'll know what to do when I need to make decisions about what to do if I know who I am. Romans 8, 14, 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. That's prophecy. That's the prophetic. The Spirit testifies to your spirit. God speaks to you, your innermost person, and says, you are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. It is the Spirit's responsibility, it is the Spirit's pleasure to speak over us words of affirmation and encouragement. He delights to tell us again and again and again, you're his child. He's your daddy. He loves you. He's got an inheritance for you. Hearing those things changes who we are and how we live. I'll finish before we respond with a story from my own life. Um, when I was at university, in my very first year of university, I'd come out of a very difficult four or five years as a, a teenager. I'd made some terrible mistakes. I'd uh, been desperate for acceptance. Uh, I, there was a history in my life of rejection and I was so afraid of being rejected by people, of being, uh, of being kind of dismissed or devalued. I, I, at my very core, was totally afraid that that was how God felt about me, that, that he was going to reject me. Because of all of the things that I kept getting wrong, all the mistakes I kept making. And it came to a crunch when I was at university here in Hull. In my first year, I was living at the lawns in Cottingham. I was in a block of uh, like 20-odd students all living on a single kind of staircase. And uh, not living on the staircase, that would be... I mean, student accommodation's bad, it's not that bad. We had beds in rooms, but there was one staircase to join all the rooms together. And... Um, and I had, uh, I'd kind of, my past was coming back into the present. So I'd, 
had a relationship, I did a gap year before university, I'd had a relationship with a girl while I was on that year that um, was inappropriate, it just wasn't uh, appropriate. I was, uh, I was volunteering in a school in South Africa and I, and, I, and I had a relationship with one of the girls who was in the school. So although we were only a couple of years apart age-wise, there were boundaries that had been crossed in ha that happening. And um, I did it, you know, not to excuse it, but I did it because, again, I was incredibly lonely, feeling very isolated in a different country by myself without family. And I was desperate for acceptance, and I often tried to find that in relationships. And I'd done that a number of times in the past, had relationships with girls that just were trying to feed that need in me to feel kind of accepted. And they weren't healthy, and, and this one hadn't been either. And my church leader had found out, because the girl's parents had found out and spoken to the church, and they'd rung my ch and my church leader phoned me, and he basically said, John, we're going to have to deal with this. This is difficult. You're going to have to apologize. We've got to try and put this right, and you need to tell your parents. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified, because the one kind of solid in my, thing in my life had been that my parents had never rejected me, but we had had a conversation a few months before where they had said, unintentionally, they didn't mean me to hear this, but they'd said, John, this is just kind of getting too much and we can't keep on having these difficulties and these things come up. You've got to kind of change. And so I heard in that one more time and this is, that, this is it. And so in fear of rejection, instead of... Uh, Calling my parents, I emailed, and this was very early days of email, still had dial-up internet. I don't know if many of you remember that. but So I'm sat there in the lawns. It goes beep, takes about five minutes, kind of fires up. I write this email to my dad, kind of saying, Dad, I, I, I've done this terrible thing. I've made this horrible mistake. I'm really sorry, but I totally understand if like, that's it. If you, if you just can't accept me anymore because of the mistakes that I've made. And I know that might happen, and it's okay. If you never want me to come home again, that's all right. Totally speaking out of the words that the world had spoken to me, and the enemy was speaking to me. All lies, but I believed them. Now, I thought that bought me some time. I thought, you know... My dad probably won't get this for a while. Gives me some time to kind of work out what the heck I'm going to do. Not remembering that my dad worked specifically in distance learning, teaching around the world, and was constantly on his email. And so he literally read it as he, as he got it. And my phone rang next to my bed in my room. And I knew no one calls me <laughs> apart from my parents. So I know who that is. I'm not answering that call. So I went outside and I sat on the landing outside my room and ignored the phone ringing. Anyway, about five minutes later, uh, my roommate, because I shared a room in my first year, Dave, his phone rang. And I heard him having this brief conversation. Then he comes outside and says, John, there's, uh, I've just had a very strange conversation with your dad. Uh, he said, please, can you call him? So I was like, yeah, okay, sure, fine. Ignore the request, kind of carry on. Five minutes later, the phone rings in the door next, the room next door to ours. Short conversation. 
Girl comes out, John, just spoken to your dad. Um, wants you to call him, please. It sounds pretty urgent. Okay, okay. Ignore the request. About an hour later, there are 24 people stood <laughs> on that landing with me. My dad has basically worked out that the extension numbers just go up by a single digit, and he's <laughs> rung every single person on, in my block, and he's told them all that I need to call him, and they're all fed up of getting these calls, so they all stood there, and they're like, John, you go and call your dad now, because <laughs> we don't want to be answering the phone to him anymore. So I go to the phone and I call home and I am full of fear. Just racked with fear and anxiety about what this conversation might hold. And my dad answers the phone and the words, first words he speak over me, <laughs> to me are this. He says, John, you're our son. And we love you. It doesn't matter what you've done. That will never, ever change. We will always love you. And we will never reject you. Now, what my earthly father didn't realize, maybe in that moment, was that my heavenly father was speaking those words through him that I heard not just a human father saying that he loved his son and was willing to kind of put up with his mistakes and forgive them. I heard a heavenly father that said the same thing, that he loved me, that it didn't matter what I'd done in the past, no matter where I'd been or what I had done, he loved me. And that would never, ever change. And that moment changed my life. All that I have done since. Alpha courses I've run, Christian unions that I've led, churches that I've planted, people that I've shared with about Jesus, healings that I've seen, prophetic words that I've shared, all are rooted in that moment when I realized, probably for the first time in my life, that rejection was impossible when it came to my sonship. To God, I couldn't lose it. I couldn't do enough wrong. I couldn't fail enough. I couldn't mess up enough to ever lose it because that's who he says I am. And that gave me such great freedom from fear that I wasn't worried about what people might say or whether I might experience rejection again from them because I knew that the one who really mattered loved me. Right, we're going to have a go. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.